their children, perhaps not unlike parents today giving their babies to politicians to hold. bit scary there for those poor little babies. In the belief maybe that some sort of blessing would rub off on the greater one to the lesser one. And the disciples, we're told, tried to stop them. Now keep in mind, back in chapter 9, just a few verses before, Jesus sat down the 12 disciples and he taught them that they were to welcome children in his name. Now Jesus was doing this to correct their thinking about greatness. You see, for them, following Jesus was about power and status. And because of the greatness of Jesus, they they kind of took on the role of being his handlers. They decided who could get near him and who couldn't get near him. And children who were of such inferior value in the culture of the day, well, they were at best a waste of time for someone as great as Jesus. Well, Jesus, in response, gets angry with them. Now, Jesus doesn't often get angry in the Gospels, but he's angry here. Because the disciples have not yet understood his teaching, they still don't get the upside-down values of his kingdom. And now, because of that, they're causing harm to others. Jesus welcomes children, and they too must welcome the children. But Jesus goes one step further in verse 15. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, like a little child, will never enter it. After taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and he blessed them. Well, not only are the disciples to welcome the children, they must become like children in order to enter God's kingdom. Now, that must have been a bit of a shock for the disciples to hear this teaching. And then to further reinforce the point, he takes the babies in his arms and he blesses them. Now, what does that mean to receive the kingdom of God like a child? Well, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean being a man-child, okay? It doesn't mean being looked after by others like your parents or your girlfriend while you keep playing. That's called childishness, not childlikeness. Now, Jesus is not calling you to be immature. Uh, maybe it's, it's that children are sweet, they're innocent, they're less sinful. Uh, maybe Jesus is saying we, we should be more like them because of that. Well, I think children are sinners just like adults. Just spend some time with children. They're just less skilled, less sophisticated at sinning. Uh, I once saw a three-year-old child deliberately hide a toy from the other children so that they couldn't play with it, and then she looked around to see if anyone was looking at her hiding it. I mean, surely that child is sinful. She's just less good at hiding her sin compared to us. Now, I want you to think a bit harder about it. Imagine Jesus is holding a newborn baby in his arms, and then he says, you need to receive the kingdom of God like a newborn child. What does he mean? What are newborn babies good at? Nothing. Crying. Crying in dependence, crying in hunger, crying when they're wet, crying when they feel alone. Babies are completely dependent on their parents for everything. And I think that's the childlikeness that Jesus is talking about. We need to approach God like desperate, dependent, newborn babies, crying out to him in our great need 
And Jesus assures us, if we approach God like that, he will receive us into his kingdom. Now, I want you to hold on to that thought for a moment because I want to introduce you to the billionaire. Well, we don't know if he's a billionaire, but he's rich. Verse 17, as he was sitting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, that's Jesus, and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we're not given his name, so I'm going to call him Bill. Now, Bill starts off well. Clearly, he respects Jesus. He's kneeling. That's a good start, isn't it? He calls Jesus good teacher. It's quite respectful. And he doesn't demand anything of Jesus. He just asks a question. And on the surface, it seems a reasonable question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I'm going to say that again. I'm going to emphasize two words, and then you'll see where Bill's coming from. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, for Bill, getting into heaven is what must I do? Now, Jesus, being a skilled counselor, he's going to play along with Bill for a while. He's not going to squash him. Verse 18, why do you call me good? Jesus Ask him, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I've kept all these from my youth. Now, when some people read this, they get stuck on Jesus saying, no one is good except God alone. You know, and I think Jesus is not here making a theological statement on whether he's sinless. Now, just think about the context. Jesus is dealing with a guy who thinks very highly of himself, probably in comparison with others. And so I think Jesus is trying to bring Bill back to reality by comparing himself to God. Now, the other thing that people get stuck on is Jesus saying that if you follow the Ten Commandments, you're a good person and God will accept you. Well, again, I think in the context, Jesus is setting Bill up. God must surely accept me if I follow the Ten Commandments. I'm a good bloke. In fact, Bill says quite confidently to Jesus, Teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. <laughs> sure, man. <laughs> You're kidding, Bill? You are so confident that you've never sinned by breaking one of these commandments. I remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5. You've heard what it was said, what, that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Bill, you've never been angry with someone? Because, you know, according to God, that deserves judgment, just like murder. What about this one, Bill? Jesus said, have you heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Bill, you're telling me you've never looked at a woman lustfully because that is as good as adultery in God's eyes. It's not so easy to, uh, to, to be confident of your goodness, is it? So not so easy to get into heaven by keeping the law. Is it? But Bill is so confident from his teenage years until now, and what he's expecting to hear from Jesus is this, well done, Bill, gold stars. 
from one good bloke to another, straight into heaven, buddy. Instead, Jesus says this, verse 21, looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all you have, give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Uh, Jesus has truly set Bill up because there's one commandment he didn't mention and that was the one about coveting stuff, wasn't it? And then bang, Bill's bubbles burst. Say that quickly three times. Jesus has burst his bubble. Jesus knows the pressure points. Bill had lots of stuff. He was rich. He covets material things. And and Jesus presses hard on the pressure point. Go sell it all, come follow me. (laughs) Whoa, 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 Jesus, hang on. Be reasonable. Now, you never asked Zacchaeus, the tax collector, to do that. You never asked Levi, the tax collector, to to go sell all you have. I mean, yeah, they kind of did, but he didn't ask them. Why is he asking this guy? And what does he say in verse 21? Jesus loved him. He's not picking on Bill. He's not setting up Bill to fail. He's saying this out of love because one day, unless Bill does something about it, the love of money is going to send him to hell. You cannot love stuff more than you love Jesus because he wants more loyalty and love than that. Uh, It's funny because we think the friends who love us are the ones who tell us what we want to hear. And Jesus is not that kind of friend. He's the one who tells you what you need to hear. That's how much he loves you. And Bill went away grieved, we're told. And I'm sure Jesus was grieved as well. I I can imagine that Jesus had tears in his eyes when he said to his disciples in verse 23, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Now, some listening might be be saying, look, I don't see how these two incidents are related. You talk about the baby, you talk about the billionaire, but what's the link? And you see, the common thread is the kingdom of God. When Bill asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He might well have asked, what must I do to enter the kingdom of God? That's the thread. That's what Mark, the writer, wants us to see, to to compare, to compare and contrast These two episodes are about the same thing, and that is how you enter the kingdom of God. So that when we read it, we would search our hearts and see what we must do to enter the kingdom of God. Would God accept us? Now, what have you learned about the kingdom of God so far? You cannot earn the kingdom, you must receive it. You cannot be a self-confident billionaire. You must receive the kingdom like a desperate, dependent baby. There's the contrast. Uh, According to the Forbes Rich List, Jeff Bezos, third richest person in the world. Elon Musk is number one currently. And Jeff Bezos right now has a net worth of 181 billion US dollars. 
that wealth mainly comes from Amazon. And I love Amazon. I love buying stuff from Amazon. I love those boxes that come in. So exciting. That's the company he started from a garage in Washington when he was 30. And he started from very humble beginnings as a child of two poor teenage parents who eventually divorced. And Bezos eventually went to Princeton University, worked his way into top jobs in IT and finance before leaving these secure jobs to go and start Amazon with his now ex-wife, Mackenzie. Uh, Bezos is so rich, he owns two Gulfstream private jets, each worth $65 million each. He's so rich that he started a company called Blue Origin, because once you've done everything on Earth, you might as well go to space, which he did two years ago on one of his Blue Origin rockets designed for space tourism. I mean, who would not want to be as wealthy as Jeff Bezos? The world would be your oyster. There would be nothing you could not afford or indulge in. And you know, there's still time for most of you listening. I'm a bit past it. I'm turning 50 this year. But most of you are under 30. You can go start your Amazon, right? Let Jeff be your role model. Think of how secure you would be. Think of that kind of wealth you would not need to depend on anyone ever again. And that's the problem, isn't it? And that brings us to the second point. Here's the teaching, right? Verse 24, the disciples were astonished at his words. Again, Jesus said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Well-known parable. And the disciples are shocked because wealth was a sign of God's favor. Now, if the babies are somehow beneath Jesus... The disciples would have seen Bill, the rich guy, as exactly the type of person that Jesus should welcome. Wealthy, high status. Clearly, he's blessed by God. But Jesus presses the point. Entering God's kingdom is not easy, especially if you're wealthy. And Jesus uses the analogy of the impossible. The camel, largest animal of the day, and the needle, The eye of the needle, the smallest opening. Now, unless you can blend up the camel and drip it through the needle, or maybe just use a scalpel and tiny slices of camel. Look, the point is, it's impossible. It cannot happen based on human effort. Now, I'm going to make it clear. There's nothing inherently sinful about being wealthy. Wealth is a gift from God. It's to be stewarded well for God. And in fact, the New Testament tells us of prominent and wealthy people who follow Jesus. You know, we read in Luke 8, there were prominent, wealthy women who gave of their possessions to fund the ministry of Jesus and his disciples. In Acts 16, we read of Lydia, the dealer of purple cloth, an influential businesswoman in Philippi. Uh, She can host church. In her house, it would appear she has some wealth. It's not sinful in itself, but having wealth is dangerous. You see, because it's easy for wealth to cause us to trust it. Wealth represents meaning and choice. Wealth represents freedom. 
Wealth represents control, or so we think. Wealth represents security and status. And because of all these things, it's so easy to depend on the wealth and not to depend on God. And wealth is a great servant when used well, like Lydia, like the women who supported Jesus. But wealth is a terrible master when it becomes your God. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, says Paul in 1 Timothy 6. And it certainly, from today's passage, it cannot buy you into heaven. Verse 26, they were even more astonished, saying to one another, then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. The disciples, they're gobsmacked. If Bill can't be saved, if this rich guy who's so clearly blessed by God, how can we be saved? Who can be saved? And then Jesus delivers the knockout punch. I think the key verse of this passage, with man it is impossible but not with God, because all things are possible with God. No one earns their way into the kingdom. You can't do it with sacrifices at the temple. You can't do it by keeping the Ten Commandments. You can't do it by visiting Mecca. You can't light joysticks to your ancestors, hoping somehow that you'll get a blessing. You can't give large donations to charity to get you into heaven. You can't be nice to your Aunt Myrtle. Well, you can be, but it won't get you into heaven. But the merciful and the gracious God can. The impossible is only possible for God. And Jesus has a right to say this because he is right now in Mark's gospel walking the path of the cross, the place where God does the impossible. Where the only obedient one, that is Jesus, dies in our place so that God can open the kingdom to people who are unworthy like you and me. And God says, I can save you, but you need to cry out to me. Who can be saved? This is the answer from both the Old and the New Testament. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, not everyone full stop, but everyone who is willing to cry out to God in desperate, dependent trust. Now, the invitation is for everyone, rich or poor, sick or healthy, educated, uneducated. Everyone, regardless of who you are, can be saved if only you would call on God. Now, there's more teaching because of the disciples. Well, they're kind of a bit worried for themselves. They're still thinking, if rich Bill can't get into heaven, well, what about us? Verse 28, Peter began to tell him, look, we have left everything and followed you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time houses, brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Now, remember, Peter is asking this question from the same perspective as Bill. And it kind of goes something like this. Do good, get good. Do good for God, get good from God. 
Now, that's kind of the measure from the earthly perspective. You know, that's why he's turning babies away. Well, what good can a baby do? Clearly, Bill's done so much good that God has made him rich. What about us, Jesus? I mean, look at the good we've done. We have left everything, everything behind for you. And they did. You know, they, they left the family fishing business. What about us? Now, Jesus is going to give his answer from a kingdom perspective, not an earthly one, and it relates to something he taught the disciples back in chapter 8. Verse 34, calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me in the gospel will save it. Now, following Jesus, it's, it's not a transaction. Do good, get good. It's a willingness to deny yourself, to deny your own agenda, and to surrender your life to follow Jesus at all costs. Now, if Jesus would walk the path of the cross for me, well then, if I am to follow him, I should do that, whatever that takes, whatever that costs. And then Jesus teaches what I call the kingdom paradox. You'll save your life and then you'll lose it. But if you lose your life, you'll save it. You know, pursue yourself, look like you're winning at life, and you're going to lose it in eternity. Now, pursue Jesus and at times look like a loser, and you will gain eternity with God. Now, this is the basis of Jesus' answer to Peter. Now, back in chapter 10, verse 31, the first will be last and the last will be first. And so now, looking at it from the kingdom perspective, the rich, the seemingly successful who put themselves first and have no thought of Jesus will be last when it comes to the kingdom of God. There is no place in God's kingdom for the proud and the self-reliant. But those who put Jesus first, those who seem weak and poor and unsuccessful in this life will be first in the kingdom of God. I'm going to summarize what we've covered so far. Being saved by Jesus will cost you nothing, but following Jesus might cost you everything. Being saved will cost you nothing if you cry out to him in dependence. Be the baby and he will save you straight away. Be assured of that. That's all you have to do. But following Jesus might cost you everything. Jesus promises in verse 30, persecution for those who are to follow him. And some of you know this only too well. You've been rejected by family members. You can't return to your home countries because of the sake of Jesus. But is it worth it? That's what Jesus is addressing. Is the kingdom worth it? And Jesus says, yes. He promises a hundred times what is lost, even now. He promises eternal life to come. Jesus is saying, yes, it's worth it in this life and the life to come. But that raises the question, doesn't it? What does it mean to receive a hundred times as much at this time? And I think Jesus is referring to a new family that, that believers are part of. You know, when you call on Jesus, you are saved, not just to relationship with God. You are saved into a family. You belong 
to a family. You're, you're welcomed, you're loved by brothers and sisters. A family will, where God will look after you. Now, is that promise true, right? Is it true? Uh, the, the Vinicum family made the costly decision to follow Jesus. Uh, they became missionaries. They spent years of time and money doing uh, apprenticeships, going to Bible college, preparing to serve on Groot Island. And they spent a number of years in mission service on Groot until that life-changing accident just over a year ago. Now, because of Kate's paralysis, they are not able to return to Groot. They're still grieving this loss. In fact, the, the picture at the bottom there is Matt and Kat, Kate being farewelled as missionaries by CMS last week. And now to build a house that can accommodate Kate's mobility and the carers that she needs around the clock is going to be really expensive. Has God kept his promise to them to look after his children who have given up so much to follow him? Absolutely. Uh, They're renting a house from a Bundy family who have been more than willing for modifications to be made to that house for Kate. Christian brothers and sisters from all over Australia through the CMS and the Prezi Church Network and through this church have given $1.3 million towards the permanent house that the Vinicums will build. And Christians with different gifts are now helping them towards this goal. And Christians from different parts of the world are praying for the Vinicums since the accident. And Matt and Kate have been overwhelmed by God's faithfulness to his children. Following Jesus is costly, but Jesus is worth it. And God will look after his children. Thirdly, let's finish with some application. Who and what will you rely on? Uh, Can you be rich and receive the kingdom of God? I, I hope so because I'm rich, okay? You don't have to be a billionaire to be rich. Uh, Say if you're in the process of owning your own home in Melbourne, you are probably rich. Something that seems increasingly out of reach for so many. But you know what? Even if you have access to running water, shelter, food, education, if you've got some money in your bank account, if you've got access to a public hospital, if you've got social security so that at times when you don't have to work, you'll get looked after, you are rich. Compared to most people in history and even compared to most people in the world today, we are rich. And when you're rich, the temptation is to rely on the wealth to rely on yourself and not to rely on God. Now, most of you here, most of you are students, you're graduates, you don't have a great deal of money. But one day you will come into more money. That might be through a promotion, a relative leaving you an inheritance, maybe your drop shipping side hustle, your crypto thing. Maybe it's going to pay off. And then the question will be, who or what will you rely on? Will you be the dependent baby crying out to God, 
or the self-reliant, self-confident billionaire. Here's a word of encouragement for those of you who may never have much money, status, or success in your life. I love this passage. We're going to look at it in two weeks. A few verses later in Mark chapter 10, we meet the blind beggar Bartimaeus. And it's interesting that his name is recorded and not the rich guy. Listen to how he approaches Jesus. Have mercy on me, son of David. That's very different to what must I do to inherit eternal life. And what happens after he encounters Jesus? He followed Jesus. It says in Mark 10, he threw his cloak away. That's, that's how he was begging, right? The, the cloak. People throw the money on. He throws the cloak away. Don't need that anymore. Follow Jesus. Bartimaeus is not winning at life, right? But if Jesus has a place in the kingdom for Bartimaeus, who is shunned and rejected by his society, Jesus has a place for you. Well, here's the second application. Are you prepared to be last to be first? Uh, last week we said goodbye to Kirsty Otten, and today she's flying out to serve Jesus in one of the poorest nations in the world. 45% of that country's population live below the poverty line. And there's still political instability in that country because there was a coup last year. That hasn't been resolved. Kirsty is going to see suffering in that hospital that she has never seen before. And at times it's going to be overwhelming and exhausting. And someday she'll wonder why she went. It's a good thing I didn't say all that last week when she was here, huh? Why? Why is she going? Because she loves Jesus and she loves people. Most people will think she's bonkers. She's nuts. You know, you take five months off work to backpack through Europe, right? You take five months of salary to renovate a van and do van life around Australia and then post the selfies, right? You save five months of salary and you put it towards your home deposit. Kirsty, what are you thinking? To be first, you put yourself first. That's the common wisdom, isn't it? And Jesus turns it upside down. And he says, if you lose your life for me in the gospel, you will save it. If you put yourself last, you will be first. And that's what Kirsty's doing. And I'm looking forward to seeing what God is going to do in her life. How much bigger Jesus will be in her life when she comes back. The stories of all the new members of God's family she's met. And what will you do when the time comes to make your choices? You know, when you're tempted to buy that house, but there's no good churches around that area. When you're going to settle for that relationship that you know that Jesus would not want you to be in. When you've got the option of taking that job if you would just compromise your integrity. When Jesus challenges you to give up security. When Jesus challenges you to give up financial security to serve him. 
How will you choose? Are you prepared to be last to be first? Being saved by Jesus will cost you nothing. Following Jesus might cost you everything, but it's worth it. Let me pray. Uh, Gracious Father God, thank you uh, for what you've taught us. Uh, It is so hard, I find it so hard, not to rely on myself, my skills, my wealth, and yet you've challenged us today to be like the baby, that we might receive the kingdom of God from you like a gift as dependent, desperate children. Please help us to keep clinging to Jesus. Our Father, you've told us that following Jesus is costly and that we might suffer persecution, we might give up mothers and brothers and sisters and fields and houses, but you've promised to look after us a hundred times now and into eternity. Father, we pray that you might help us to trust you in this and that like Kirsty, we might be willing to make decisions that are challenging, that are costly, because Jesus is worth it. Help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.